3: LMFM podcasts brought to you with Cartmacross Credit Union, where dreaming of warmer climates becomes a reality with a Cartmacross Credit Union holiday loan. O'Neill Street, Cartmacross, or CU.ie You're very welcome to Late Lunch on this Good Friday afternoon. We have a special show lined up for you today. A big interview with Vincent Hoy coming up, preview of the weekend sport with Leon Blanche, and we're heading to East Coast Cookery School just ahead of Easter. You'll enjoy it, I promise. But first up on today's show, Easter eggs seldom last. The annual Chalk Fest sees mountains of chocolate formed into eggs and consumed by the masses. However, there's always the exception, and my first guest today has an Easter egg that's truly exceptional. I'm delighted to be joined on the show by Dolores McMahon. Afternoon, Dolores.
2: Good afternoon, Gary.
3: Now, this is some story about your Easter egg. Take us back. What age were you when you got the egg?
2: I was 14 years, old, uh, 14 years of age, yeah.
3: And what year was it?
2: It was 1973. It was a kind of a sad special year. Uh, I got this amazing egg from my parents uh, at the time, Bridie and Jack McEntee of the village of Knobber. They were in business all their lives in shop business. And it was a year that my father passed away, but we're not going to go into that. Hence, this is the reason why I held on to the egg, not knowing I was going to have it 46 years later.
3: Dolores, I can't believe this. Yeah. You have a 46-year-old Easter egg since 1973.
2: Since 1973. Um, I actually took it out this morning, uh, Jerry, because I'm getting it ready to take it out for Easter weekend. And uh, it's, still, it's still there. It's intact. It's a beautiful Fuller's egg. It was uh, a very special egg for me because everybody at that time, we're talking now 46 years ago, and you just had a milk, uh, milk chocolate Cadbury's egg or a crunchy egg or whatever. But this was really exclusive. It was in a beautiful high box with a beautiful yellow bow. The bow is actually still there intact. And the name of the egg was a Fuller's egg. And it was filled with chocolate toffees. Now, that was a beautiful, beautiful egg. It had beautiful icing of flowers in yellows, pinks and blues. And the little green stems. Can you visualise that, Jerry? I'm
3: just picturing it here as you describe it. You're brilliant. Yeah,
2: it was an exclusive egg at that time in uh, 1973. And my sister got one who was older than me, my sister Rini. And I was shocked to see this egg for me because I don't remember many eggs prior to that. But this was just an exceptional egg and it was just so beautiful. And I just kept looking at it every day. And my father passed away in August. So this, I think it, was, it must have been around April time. And there was a lot going on. He was in and out of hospital. And I just thought it was a lovely egg. And I said, I can't eat that just at the moment. So 46 years later, it's still sitting there at home in my house and I've travelled a bit and it's still there.
3: You mentioned there, you were 14 at the time and it is a very special egg because it was the last egg your dad actually gave to you before he passed away. Now,
2: my mum was involved in the egg as well. It was from mum and dad, but it, it, it was really reflecting on my dad. I was 14, he was going to leave us. He was 53 or 54 when he passed away. I was very young. And uh, I didn't realise I was going to hold on to it for 46 years. <laughs> but there you go.
3: Why didn't you eat it? What, what prompted this? You know, generally a child with an egg, and at that stage this special egg with all those toffees and everything, you never touched it, you never opened the wrapping. you never took the toffees out from inside the egg?
2: Absolutely not. I couldn't, Jerry. It was an amazing egg at the time, in that era. Not many people would have that salubrious egg. And it was just a special egg. I just loved the whole ambience of it. I just loved everything about it. The box is amazing. It's a, it's. A, I think there's little bunny rabbits on the box or whatever. It's just a beautiful egg. And I just couldn't open on it. Now, I put it away in a wardrobe and I went off to school, etc., did my leaving search, did whatever I had to do. I stayed at home and worked in my parents' business for a few years, and then I went to Dublin, I went to work in Dublin, I went to work in Cabin. The egg is still there and so am I. So, it's, you know, there's something good out of it.
3: So the egg travelled with you. Did you bring it with you or leave it in one place?
2: I left it in a wardrobe in my bedroom, which was never untouched. And every time I open that door, I says, oh, my God, is it dead or alive, the egg? But you know what? It's alive. <laughs> <laughs> it's
3: well alive. And yeah. I'm looking at pictures of it here. And I'll tell you one thing. It's done quite good. It's stood the test of time.
2: You know,
3: and so have I. I'm here to tell the tale. That's the real important thing.
2: I'm 14 years older than that egg, Jerry. Oh, my God. There you go. But
3: look, you mentioned there that you're getting it ready to take it out this year again. Is this now an annual tradition with you that you bring it out for the Easter?
2: It is. I'll be honest with you. Uh, I enjoy it because, you know, my daughter, who's living abroad at the moment, Suzanne, she says, Mom, is it not time to let it go and put it in the bin? And I said, no. I said, for as long as I'm around and as long as the egg doesn't melt or disintegrate, I'm going to hold on to it. Because, Jerry, after 46 years, why would you bin it?
3: No, it's a bit of
2: fun. It's a bit of fun absolutely 46 years old there's people that's married with children and they weren't even born at that time so it's just a bit of fun and i'm going to hold on to it
3: do hold on to dolores now i have a few questions to ask you about eggs in general do you like an easter egg
2: love cadbury's easter eggs i would eat them for my breakfast dinner and tea i am just addicted to them
3: and will you receive eggs this year and give eggs yourself
2: I won't be giving eggs, but I hope my husband will have a Cadbury's egg somewhere for me at home. I don't know yet, but I'm hoping. Uh, I normally did a little uh, hunt with eggs around my lawn area with my daughter. She would kill me for saying this. She's now 28. But you know what? That's what you do at Easter time. You try to keep the tradition going.
3: And you know, you're right, because with my children for years, yeah. um, um, after we got married, we lived in one house and then we moved subsequently. Yeah. But for years, somebody was leaving a little basket with eggs outside our door every Easter Sunday morning when you'd get up and it'd be there when our children were of the age when they loved eggs.
2: Of course. And isn't it so magical, Jerry? It is. It really is. We have to keep the magic going. There's just so much going on out there in, uh, in the world out there today. We have to keep the little traditions.
3: For sure. Now, let me say this to you. I believe you probably more than likely have the oldest Easter egg in Ireland. Now, we do know that John Gartland in County Loud, so it's a mead loud thing here, has one that's 41 years old. Yours is 46 now. I want to ask you this. If somebody came forward and said, I actually have an older egg, would you be disappointed, Dolores?
2: I wouldn't. I would say fair play to you. Held on to it for dear life. You obviously have a story behind your egg and fair juice to you. That's what I would say. And I'd love to meet that person and talk eggs with them.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I I take it with all the food regulations we live with today and everything, you wouldn't, even if you did open it up with what's in there, it mightn't do you that good at this stage.
2: Let's put it like this, Jerry. I ain't opening
3: it. <laughs> I love it. That's what I, I wanted to hear. I ain't opening
2: it. I don't know what will jump out at me, but you know what? While it's there in its little nest, leave it there.
3: Well, you know, you're such a well-known lady in Navin. Uh, oh, you, thank you. You know, and where you work there in Tonny's. people know thank you me. so well. I have a little idea. Why don't yeah. you consider each year opening a little exhibition at Easter of this egg and let people come and visit it? You could become a tourist attraction in Navin, Dolores.
2: Oh, but then I'd have to charge them, Jerry, and I wouldn't <laughs> do that, would I? <laughs> ah, no. yes. Actually, it's a great thought, I should say, it to Jim, my boss, Jim Tunney, yeah? Yes. He wouldn't mind at all.
3: Put it on display. Not this year, right? We're on the cusp of Easter now. But think about it for next year. Hold on to it. Mind it. Keep it safe. And maybe consider something like that. I think it would garner an awful lot of interest from people. And perhaps, I know you don't want to charge, but another little idea. If somebody wanted to give a little contribution, you might help a charity or something. You know, that type of thought.
2: There is absolutely no problem. If anybody wants to take it on board and give me a hand with it, I'd be delighted to do it. Because 46 years is a long time.
3: And it it's is. great
2: to have it and I'm honored to have it.
3: You are, and mind it, keep it safe and never yeah. consign it anywhere. Hand it on. It'll be an heirloom that you'll give to somebody someday.
2: Do you think, Jerry, if you don't mind me asking your question, that my daughter would love to have that as an heirloom? <laughs> was... We won't go there. <laughs> we'll we won't tell... go
3: there. <laughs> I can tell you this. <laughs> she might have second thoughts and I'm making an appeal to her today to say what's her name again Suzanne is it
2: Uh, Suzanne Suzanne Suzanne, I know
3: you're not in Ireland today but you'll hear this on podcast listen this will be yours this will be precious this will be valuable one day treasure it mind it take it from your mother and look after it for posterity how about that I hope she hears me
4: I hope she
3: hears you too, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> Dolores, you're a real sport. I hope she
4: doesn't hear me though.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Dolores McMahon, I will say again, you have to be the person in Ireland with the oldest Easter egg. 46 years young this year. She got it in 1973 and she holds onto it for dear life and may she do so for many years to come. Happy Easter to you and I hope you get that Cadbury egg.
2: Oh Jerry, thank you so much, and a happy Easter to you and your team.
3: Thank you very much indeed, Dolores. Take care You're of yourself. You're very
2: welcome. Thank you, Jerry.
3: Bye-bye, Dolores. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yes, what a cracking story that is, no pun intended, this Easter time. Is there anybody with an older Easter egg that you've kept for over 46 years? I doubt it, but if there is, one five nine five eight, you can give us a shout. Stay with us on late lunch, because shortly we're heading to East Coast Cookery School. It's pork and beef on the menu for Easter. We're back in East Coast Cookery School for the month of April and reminding you again that this year on Late Lunch, Tara Walker is cooking flavours of the Boyne Valley. And boy, have we some magnificent flavours today.
4: Oh wow, look at what we have from Carina Mount Charles um, at Rock Farms Lane. We have some gorgeous strip loin steaks and we have some fabulous uh, pork. She'll tell you a bit more about what she, what breed and what cut and everything. But in the meantime, we also have some fantastic organic vegetables that she's brought. Well, leaves actually. Are- actually so we've got some salad leaves here and look at the lovely little calangula flower in there as well and then over here we have some chinese greens and other things that we're going to do a very quick stir fry with and these recipes are actually probably the some of the quickest and easiest recipes we've ever done jerry because i really just want to let the gorgeous meat sort of speak for itself i don't want to kind of tamper with it too much. First
3: off tell me what you're going to do with the beef.
4: So we're going to do an Asian beef salad. Um, So I'm going to marinate the beef very briefly and we're going to cook it on a hot um, high heat and let it rest and make a nice little dressing with it um, with some soy sauce, honey, ginger garlic, a little bit of sesame oil and we're going to slice it very thinly and just, just serve it like that with these beautiful leaves and then separately we're going to do a pork chop with lemon rosemary and cannellini beans. So we're going to get a start on the pork chop first.
3: I'll tell you one thing these are chops folks look at those the colour it and the fat on it as well.
4: Absolutely and they're on the bone as well which is fantastic. Now they don't, you don't have to do this recipe with chops on the bone but if you can it just really keeps them lovely and moist. I do prefer to, to do it that way. So what I'm doing is I'm actually brushing some oil onto the chops directly. You can use rapeseed oil i have a little bit of groundnut oil there because i have it out for the asian beef salad but a rapeseed oil would be ideal as well so just a high burning point oil that's not going to start smoking and i have my pan heating here i've got a little bit of oreo sea salt which i'm just going to put directly onto the pork chop so always seasoning each step of the way seasoning before i cook and a little bit of pepper as well And let's get our tongs. And we need to hear the sizzle when we put it onto the pan. If you don't hear the sizzle, not committed to the moment, you can stop and take it back off again.
3: No doubt about it. The heat is there.
4: Absolutely. And just to remind all your listeners, I know I say it practically every time we cook any meat, but the whole point about getting that sizzle going on there is you're wanting to seal in all of the juices. If that's on too low a temperature, you will see juices starting to seep out the meat might actually stick to the pan as well. But also what will happen is you won't get that gorgeous caramelization that you're looking for, which is going to add flavour. This is such a simple little dish that actually we really want to, um, we need to kind of help it along as much as possible. Although I'm sure the pork is going to taste delicious. I haven't tasted it yet, but I've every faith in it.
3: So how long will you give those on each side there yeah, so on the pan? I'm going to give
4: them about two minutes. And you can see here, I just had a little bit of oil left on my brush. And I'm just popping the oil onto the other side of the, the side that's up. Uh, on the pork chops, and a little bit more salt and pepper, and only a small amount. And let's have a look and see what way it's looking. Oh, lovely! Can you oh, see that nice
3: isn't that just beautiful? Look at the golden color there. It's fantastic. Beautiful, beautiful.
4: So, Jerry, I'm just going to give that another moment or two, and then I'm going to pop it onto a warmed dish and into the oven to finish it off. If you'd smaller pork chops, you could just cook them on the pan altogether. But actually, in this case, um, I'm going to finish them off in the oven while I get on with the rest of the dish. And can you see how much fat is rendering out of that pork chop? I only brushed oil on that. Look how much we have. We oh, have about two tablespoons beautiful of Beautiful,
3: pure pork fat there out on the pan yeah, as well. and that
4: is going to add gorgeous flavour. I might not keep all of the fat, but I'll keep a fair bit of it. I don't even need to, in my recipe, I have, you know, add a little more oil when you add the other ingredients. But I won't need to do yeah. it this time.
3: And when you pop those into the oven, again, just for listeners, time frame in the oven?
4: Um, about five to ten minutes. So those, if you look at these, these are what, nearly an inch thick, I would say. Yeah. Half an inch to an inch thick. So the, lo- the thicker they are, they're gonna, the longer they're going to take to cook, obviously. So I would say I'll probably put these in for about five minutes.
3: We'll remind you again today, it's Rock Farm in Slane, and Karina Mount Charles has brought the beautiful ingredients to East Coast Cookery School, and she's here looking at these beautiful chops on the pan. Karina, nice to see you again. Slightly salivating <laughs> as I'm watching the, uh, the chops being cut. The produce, Tara said it there, you are certified organic in Rock yeah. Farm, and that is such an important thing.
5: Not easy to get. No, it's um, continual. Uh, challenge we have to find we have to continue to be able to feed our um, especially the the pigs um, all organic food and we have to look far and wide to get all the ingredients uh, to make that feed and we've um, been reducing our dependence on shipped in pellets because they're being shipped in from the UK. And we're going out and working with tillage farmers around the country. And we also hope in the future to grow our own tillage to be able to feed our own pigs. We, we really enjoy working with uh, the pigs outdoors. They're outdoor ridge, they even farrow outdoors. And then we have our small Dexter herd. Um, and Dexters have got a quite sort of significant. Uh, link to Slane Castle. They were first recorded in the 1840s um, at Slane Castle in the books there, so we kind of wanted to bring them back and they are wonderful animals to work with.
3: So look, we are in the process of preparing our pork dish here and Karina, will be back to you a little later on don't salivate too much. I'm in the <laughs> same boat as yourself, I have <laughs> to tell you today. Yes. <laughs> yes, indeed. Pork chops off the pan.
4: Absolutely. And let's get them into the oven, Jerry. So I've a really good hot oven here. It's 180, 200. Let me see. Yeah, it's just about 180 there. So I'm just going to pour a little bit of the pork fat off. Look at the colour of it. Look at that. How gorgeous is that? OK, I've left about half a teaspoon on the pan, but I'm keeping it here in a little bowl in case I want it. So to that... I'm going to add a little bit of garlic. Now, the garlic is only just peeled, slightly smushed a bit. Is that the technical term for it? It's a whole clove of garlic, and it's just sort of slightly smushed because what I want to do is cook it as a whole piece and almost roast it in there, but then I want to kind of mash it down to mix with the cannellini beans. So I have a tiny pinch of salt going on those. Why, Jerry? Because
3: they won't burn if you put the salt in the pan.
4: Exactly, and I'm actually going to take a little bit of my pork fat after all. Not too much, another half teaspoon and just give that a little shake around and then I have some lovely biodynamic wine from Seamus and Quintessential Wines I just happened to have it over the weekend it's a Pinot Grigio but really any white wine you have is fine and I'm just going to deglaze the pan generously and into that I'm going to be generous with some rosemary and you can discard the rosemary later but really I just want to give it all that nice flavour And then I'm going to toss my cannellini beans. So I've just got a tin of cannellini beans, which I just drained and rinsed there. And this really is a great dish. If you have the right pork, it's a great dish to do. You know on those days where you're in a hurry, you're hungry, you're tired. um, You know, you just want to throw something really quick on. You're literally just opening a tin of cannellini beans. Let's get them in. Now, if you wanted as well, you could throw some nice greens in here. Um, I'm not going to do that today because I've got quite tender greens here. We have a little taste for seasoning now. Yep, I'm going to pop a little bit of salt in. And I'm going to pop some black pepper. Grind black pepper in. Generous enough because obviously the cannellini beans are bland, you know. Give it a shake round, A little bit of lemon juice. And you see all those lovely little sticky bits on the bottom of this platter. Oh, never
3: leave your Scrape sticky bits those. behind.
4: No. Scrape those. And then once you, you can check your pork chop is co- cooked through at this stage, if you need to pop the whole thing into the oven, I've made it in an ovenproof proof pan, you can. Or if you want to just serve it up, you can now. Mm. So I've got a pan with my cannellini beans, garlic, a little bit of rosemary um, and then the two pork chops are on the top and it's going into the oven just for about five minutes. Okay,
3: Karina, here we are. The proof is in the eating. Look at your chop there. You were saying to me that you actually would know what pig that uh, pork came from.
5: Yeah, so I recognise the sort of the, the thick layer of fat here, that's off our long white boar and you're getting a, a larger size chop. And that's why we, um, we, switched, we bought a long white boar um, from a farmer in Wicklow and we've been delighted with the results we're getting. So we run him with our Tamworth sows and we have a saddleback. And a Gloucester Old Spot as well. Um, and it, we're having really good fun just watching mm. what, what the different types of meat that come out of that
3: mm. are. And they get a great free range life and they're looked after well. Yeah,
5: they're finished later yes. than they would an intensive system um, and they do have a great life. Mm.
3: Now, here, come on, you do the tasting there. It's your produce. Come on, I'll have a little piece in a second, so I will.
5: That is beautifully cooked. It's so soft. It is quite hard to cook a pork chop well. Mm. And I do think that some of the conventional recipes are more suited to conventional um, types of pork. But that is just sensational. The combination
3: of flavours. You know, the cannellini beans don't, but the lemon, the garlic, the rosemary, and the combination with the pork, isn't it just gorgeous? It
5: really is. And it works really well, the cannellini, because there's probably quite a lot of flavour in, in those juices. And then if you mix that in with the cannellini, it's just delicious.
3: Mm. What about the chef herself? What does she feel about it? Give us an unbiased view.
4: Um, It's gorgeous. You can see a lot of people overcook pork. That's the other reason actually why it gets dry. And if you look at the very centre there, there's an ever so slight pinkness to it. I mean, we're not talking rare. No, tiny.
3: I Mm. mean, the tiniest fleck. That is perfect.
4: Mm. The really hot, fast pan. I finished it off in the oven. I checked it and it was just slightly more rare than I wanted it to be. So it went back into the oven for not even five minutes, I'd say, then let it rest for a moment or two before we served it up. But the cannellini beans tend to be a great carrier of flavour, as you say. They're bland on their own, but when mm. you have... And the real important thing was that I cooked them in the juices from the pan, and I did the pan.
3: From pork to beef?
4: Yes, so we have gorgeous triploin loin steaks here, and I'm going to marinate them. Now, this, this is an Asian beef salad, as I mentioned earlier, Asian style. So it's a short marinade. Um, so what I'm going to do here is just grate some garlic onto the steak, just roughly... And then i can use a teaspoon just to kind of get it all into the surface there we go just use your teaspoon just to see i'm kind of using the back of it there just to push it in yeah you're and pushing it into the meat the meat is so soft isn't exactly. it exactly it's really really tender a well-aged piece of beef there and well hung as well so i'm going to add into that a tablespoon of soy sauce a tablespoon of rice wine vinegar and a tablespoon of groundnut oil. That is my marinade. And, you know, sometimes I've done this maybe on the telly or at um, demos or whatever, and I've had one, you know, that I had to do earlier. So the one I've made live, maybe I've eaten the next day. And actually, the marinade is not that nice. So I know, like, with barbecues and things like that, you want a really long marinade the soy sauce permeates through too much and it becomes i mean i'd eat it myself for my lunch or whatever but i wouldn't serve it as like it's not at its best when it's been marinated for too long an hour or two max for me and let's just come back to that in shortly
3: okay so the beef has been marinating probably for about 20-25 minutes
4: so i'm just scraping the garlic off into the marinade because it'll burn on the pan now but i want to use the garlic in the marinade because i'm going to bubble it up a little bit later on when i've cooked the the steak So this is going to take a bit longer than I normally do with this particular recipe. I'm going to give it a good kind of two or three minutes on each side. And then I'm going to go around the edges with it.
3: Tipping away there in the pan and over she goes. Look at that beautiful showering on that boy.
4: (laughs) I feel like I'm in one of those American steakhouses. You know, those fabulous places. So I've just turned it over onto the other side. We'll give it a moment or two on the other side.
3: Great stuff. While you're doing that, let me catch up with Karina Mount Charles again and talk to her about her beautiful produce from Rock Farm in Slane. Pork a few moments ago, beef today. Can you get that waft in our direction? I
5: can. It's amazing. Yeah.
3: The beef. Tell me more about this beef again. You mentioned their long-time association with Slane Castle.
5: Yeah, so we have a small herd of Dexter cows, which were are uh, it's a closed herd, so we're growing it as, as we go. And um, they're great uh, cows to farm because we... We farm them outdoors, like we do with all the other animals. And in fact, this season, they've all carved outside as well. Um, And the only time we've had to bring them in is the last winter. We opened up one of the smaller sheds and the cows minded themselves. So the weaker members of the herd went into the shed and the other ones stood outside and then they rotated around as that snow was coming in.
3: Brilliant. And the cuts of beef you brought here today are? Um, that's a strip loin oh,
5: yeah. that we've got, which is great for salads. And I think they're and great flavour as well, yeah. strip loins, yeah, aren't they? Yeah, it I? is, definitely.
3: When you, when you see it here and what Tara's doing, there she is, it's come off the other side and she's searing the, the, all the edges of it round as well. Have you ever had it in this Asian salad before yourself?
5: No, I don't think I have. Um, and I'd be really interested to see. I suppose we're quite traditional about the way we eat it at home. So we love our steaks. And um, love roasts, so it'd be, it'd be really interesting to see it used in a different type of way.
3: How long is that beef uh, hanging?
5: Uh, 21 days at least. It's been hanging in mutton head and slain. Oh,
3: lovely, <laughs> you'd know it, wouldn't you? And it just adds so much to it as well. So Tara, you have been doing, as I was talking to Karina there, what I said, you're sealing it all round.
4: Yeah, absolutely. So, if you want to just have a look there you can see where the fat is all around the edges so i've just been kind of you know holding it up with my tongs here basically and i'm just going to let it sit now and rest for a few minutes so it really really needs to be rested okay i can't emphasize how much that needs to be rested the rule of thumb is half is resting for half the cooking time, but actually I'm even gonna give it a moment or two longer. So while I'm waiting for it to rest, I'm gonna make up the dressing, but I'm also going to, you can see on my pan here, there's just a little bit of the tiny bit of the garlic that was still stuck to the steak. I'm using a little bit of kitchen roll to take that off, but I'm not washing the pan or anything um, because I want to bubble up my marinade. Now, if I were to put the marinade in there now, it would just evaporate into nothing because the pan is so hot. So I wanna let that cool while I make my dressing. So first up, I'm going to just grate some ginger Lovely. into the bowl, yeah. and I have some garlic, which I'm going to grate as well. Next up then, I have some soy sauce, and I'm going to go with a couple of tablespoons of soy sauce. This is one I buy in the Asian supermarket, so it's actually very dark. So if you have a really dark one, go with scant tablespoons, but if you have a light soy sauce or a reduced sodium, just go maybe a little bit more generously with it then I have my rice wine vinegar then this is probably slightly unusual I have two tablespoons of olive oil to one tablespoon of sesame oil and the reason for that is sesame oil has a great flavour but can also be a little bit overpowering so I'm kind of diluting here with the olive oil but I still need the emulsification of the oil so I need that quantity of oil so two tablespoons of olive oil to one of sesame and you know you should never cook with sesame oil it burns at a very low temperature it can become carcinogenic really use it as like a drizzle or a condiment so you know the way you put salt and pepper on something at the end use your sesame oil in the same way and then I have a little bit of honey going in and I waited till last for my honey because then it'll just fall off my spoon once the oil has been on it first I have everything in there now and I'm going to just have a little taste for balance of flavors. I'm sure it's going to be fine though. Yep. Really happy with that sauce. So I want the steak to rest another few minutes.
3: Now you are putting some greens on the pan here.
4: Absolutely. So again, Karina brought some gorgeous greens and um, some Chinese greens. She can tell you about them a little bit, but you know what, because I've so much flavor in my beef um, marinade and dressing, I'm not even going to put anything into the pan. I might drizzle a little bit of groundnut oil and a little bit of sesame oil in closer to the end, but I'm really just going to wilt them down at the moment. And they're not normally with this beef recipe, but I just thought they'd actually just complement it really, really well. So just a dry pan. I've actually washed them, so there's a little bit of liquid on them. I did pop them into the salad spinner, but there's still a little bit of water on them. So that'll stop them from catching and burning. So they'll almost steam and stir fry in here.
3: That's it. Just a few minutes in the pan and they will be ready.
4: Exactly. And while we're waiting for the steak, I might as well do it. I just added a little bit of a tiny, tiny drop of sesame oil soy sauce and rice wine vinegar and i mean a tiny tiny drizzle of each there and we'll serve that up with the beef now so let me get to the beef so i'm just going to slice very 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 thinly so what i always say to people is if you have someone who doesn't want their steak cooked so rare what you can do and i'll show you how to do it is toss a little bit into the marinade while it's bubbling down and it means then If some people like it rare and some people like it well done you're not having to cook the whole steak and dry the whole thing out but you can see here if you look at a slice of this beef it's perfectly brown all around the edge yeah but the center is rare yes perfect so you know that it's safe to eat in other words Mm. and we might just pop the marinade on and I'll pop a slice or two into the marinade as well so the pan has cooled now and I'm just pouring the marinade in really just to sort of you know bubble it up reduce it down a little bit it'll go sticky and I'll pop a slice or two of the beef into that as well, just so that you can taste it that way too.
3: Well, would you believe it? In the time that Tara is talking there already, that is almost done for the palate of somebody who wants something cooked.
4: Exactly. The heat's
3: off in it already. Look yeah. at that. Look at that.
4: Okay. Come on, Karina. Reading. Come
3: to the tasting side of the kitchen here and let's have a go at this. And I, I'm going to listen to what Tara had to say there. I'm going to taste this little rare piece as well because. You, you've been talking about it there. Can I pick up a piece of this and have a go of it? Now, this is the rare, okay? Have you ever heard of a conversion in seconds?
4: Yay! <laughs> so, you like it rare. I but love the, it. The thin slicing is so important. Like, and that's why I was kind of taking my time over it. I sharpened the knife. If it's not sliced thinly, it just loses its delicateness, you know?
3: Karina, come on.
4: I think it's like a beef carpaccio but with
5: more texture and flavour.
3: It really is terrific, isn't
5: it? Mm, Delicious.
3: Is it nice to be here seeing a magician like Tara Walker uh, work her magic on your
1: wonderful produce?
5: It's like being in a sort of five-star laboratory with um, (laughs) my
4: ingredients. I've got to go home. I'm going to be like born again. Must do these dishes. Brilliant. So just the stir-fried veg, look, it was really simple. Wilted down on the pan, dry first of all, and then I popped a little bit of sesame oil, soy sauce and rice wine vinegar and i mean literally a couple of drops of each on a very big handful of veg
5: and i would do that a lot at home because obviously we've got a lot of leaves um but it was really interesting to see how you could actually use just a small solid frying pan to do it because i'd be straight into the wok and maybe that's a bit too much sometimes
4: yeah yeah i think a wok can be too much for um delicate leaves like this you know fine if you're using sugar snaps and peppers and stuff like that mushrooms or whatever but actually um unless you had a huge quantity of them, I think you're better off just in a normal pan because a wok can nearly just be too much heat going on, especially, it depends on the wok you're using as well, but a lot of woks are quite thin. Mm -hmm. So the heat goes through really quickly. It's harder to control. Whereas this was actually a heavy-based ceramic pan I used here.
3: Look, it's been fantastic here today, I have to say. This series really, you know, it brings to life what we've talked about, the brilliant flavours of the Boyne Valley. And again, we have a wonderful producer here with us today, uh, Karina Mount Charles from Rock Farm and Slane. And if people want to find out more about your produce,
5: they can um, look on our website, rockfarmslane.ie. The pork is available at He Maguire's award-winning butchery in um, Ashburn and the beef is available from time to time in Muttonhead and Slane.
3: Thank you for Thank joining you. us today, Karina. and continued success to you all. Thank Thanks you so much for having me. And as usual to Tara Walker, who's worked on magic, I say again, here today for the month of April. Flavours of the Boyne Valley recipes available on EastcoastCookerySchool.ie. That's it for this month in East Coast Cookery School. We'll be back in the month of May with more flavours of the Boyne Valley with Tara Walker. I'm with Vincent Hoy and recently at the Irish Soccer Writers, he was honoured with a special merit award. Let me say that There's no doubt there would be no football. There would be no Drogheda United in Drogheda but for this man. He's well known for his extensive legal practice. He's passionate about Drogheda town and he's no mean bowls player as well, I'm told. Vincent, great to meet you this afternoon. And let me say first off, congratulations on the award. What did it mean to you? Well,
0: look, it's it's not an award just to me. It recognises work done by so many people. I know them from way back I don't want to mention names, but there. Are, when I think of what what some people, the hours, the, 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 the commitment that they've given to that club, it wouldn't be there only for them. And I'm only just representing those. Many of them have passed away, unfortunately, but I remember them and they they are the reason why Troy United is where it is today, after all.
3: Now, you mention other people and you are always a man to deflect from yourself. But again, I say congratulations to you. But let's go right back. Will you tell me how you became involved with football in Drogheda initially?
0: Well, somewhere when I was at school, in the Cord Road, we we, we just were, we had soccer there, we were, we, we had Bion Rovers, and we had a team called Card Celtic that I played for. And And then it was up to United Park to see the Drogheda team playing. You know, when you think of some of the great names that, that played for Drada at that time, Jimmy Carroll, for example. I'm just thinking of an, and and uh, oh, there's so many to mention. Seamus Dunn, who went to Luton Town afterwards. Then there was Podgy Kelly, who was from from Sandyford Terrace, and the Moors and the Heenies, and the, you know, and of course all the Thornton's and so forth from from the Winma Road and so. We used to stand on the bank and look at these, and we, we, we adored them. We thought they were fantastic. Desi Fagan, of course, we, we couldn't. Beautiful player and lovely man. So then, uh, when I, I was playing for Cord Celtic in the Summer League, when Paddy Riley, Paddy you now, who was the chairman, came and asked me to play for the United Youths. So that was in 1952. So I played with the youths in Dublin League for 1952 and 1953. We were only 16 and 17 years of age at the time. I can tell stories, by the way, about that. I mean, Paddy Riley, (laughs) Paddy, we would be scared stiff coming in at half time if things weren't going well. He would come in and take, he'd really know. He used the F word, so I won't use it myself. But I never had anybody before or since that could put such passion into it and scare the life out of you. (laughs) I remember him saying one time, you know, listen, he said, look, this is football. I mean, you can't play football if you haven't got the effing ball. <laughs> would, you, would you mind just keeping that in mind? This would be the way he talked to you at halftime. Anyhow, uh, after that, then it was Father Condy who came to me. He was setting up the, the team going into the league, draw the, draw the AFC into the league. He asked me to would I act on the board. At that time, he invited a number of people. I don't know many remember it. There was Noel McQuillan, and there was Mal Matthews, Paddy McGee. So any event, of course, we did. And I, I was telling the story about what what it was like in those days. I mean, you, you went to the board meeting and you always brought your checkbook every week because it just was, you came round to the treasurer's report and that was, oh well, how much is it this week to keep the show on the road? And this went on for years, you know. Now, some of the directors didn't stick it as long as I, I stuck it through, thick and thin, and I have to say Paddy McGee was a great man too. And uh, Ben Connolly, Ben, probably Connolly's brother, and so on. So uh, that's how I, I got into it, you know, and uh, we, we, we and there was no turning back. But I want to tell you, Jerry, the reason... OK, it, well, it was about soccer, and I loved the game and all that, and I loved the name... But I always saw drawdy United as a community asset. It was important. I, I, I was involved in the community every other way. I wanted a developed order. And I saw that this was something, a League of Ireland team in the town carrying the name of Drawhead every week on the, in the newspapers, on the radio, later on in the television. This was valuable, valuable to the town. And and then when, when, <laughs> when you're in the thing and you're there as the director or the chairman, you then realise just what soccer team means to so many people I mean some of them live or die for this day. I mean there was one man and he used to write me a letter every Monday morning for years and they weren't complimentary <laughs> but you see you don't get compliments from someone who's so enthusiastic and passionate he was just saying Mr. Roy, do you know anything about football why are you playing that fellow with left back? So he has no left foot at all. In fact, in fact he had not a very good right one either. And this would all be in the letter to me every week. Yeah? Now, I realised that man lived for it, you know, really lived for it. Another man said to me one time, Vincent, you're doing a great job up there. Uh, this was a professional man. Uh, I'd like to help you out if I could and do a bit, you know, for you. Well, I said, look, there's a meeting now next Wednesday night. So come up and see. And there's a meeting of the of the, the the supporters and all that. So he did, and he sat at the back. <laughs> and I was used to these meetings. One fella gets up and says, "Vincent, you're a, you're a complete fool. Why are you doing this? Why are you not doing that? Can you not see this? Why don't understand?" and Cause I'm there, used to all this, and I'm taken up because I knew that that man was so passionate. He would do anything for the club, and if I was looking for a few pounds, he'd be the first man I would go to as, as, You know, but so, and what great was always great friends. I never got personal with these things. So any event, I meet (laughs) meet my friend after. You see, and he says, Vincent. He said you don't have to take that kind of abuse and everything he said what the name of god so i explained i said look he's the best <laughs> fellow we have i mean he's a great supporter he I, I give my life for him he couldn't see that at all you know mm-hmm. Well, i do is I, 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 I and so i never took anything personal uh, we have had our disagreements and all that but When you have a common cause and you're committed, people do get passionate, they really do, about about the game. And and, I'm just as passionate as anybody. And as I say, I come back to you and say, hey, don't let that club fade in Drogheda. We've been there for a 100 years now. We're ups and downs and wins and losses, a hell of a lot more losses than wins. (laughs) But we have great memories. And I have made great friends. I have them all over Ireland. Uh, and I, I, I met them the other night at the, at the when we were up at the, the award. And they come and, and it brings you back. And it's, there's a camaraderie about it, but it's important for Drada. And I want to say something to the people of Drada who are listening to me now. Treat this club as your possession, you as a citizen of Drada. It belongs to you. It doesn't belong to me. It doesn't it never belong. I always thought myself as a trustee for it to save it and preserve it. In this year, this.
1: A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United
2: Healthcare tri term medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com
0: all the people in Drogheda would think for a few minutes about what they could do for this job. Some people have nearly given the lives for it, but I'm only asking people, just sit there, and business people, there. is there any little thing you can do you might be to buy a season ticket, might be to buy a jersey, might be to buy a ticket for some things that they're running. It might be to put a poster in your window if you're a business person. Any little thing, just because it's your club. Your club, look after it and help it. There are some people who are ready to give hours and hours and hours and money and everything to keep it going. You do a little bit. In their own little way, I can't tell you what to do, but uh, I, I believe that if people sat down and felt an ownership, you, ownership, because that's what you have. Dryder owns this club. Look after it.
3: You were telling us there earlier you played for Chord Celtic, you're a boy of the Chord Road in the heart of Drogheda. You went on to play for Drogheda United and then you were asked by Father Kevin Connolly, the famous Father Kevin Connolly, to get involved with the formation of Drogheda FC to go into the league in the early 60s. Roll on the years and the two clubs come together. Drogheda United, the original club founded 1919 and the 1960s version, Drogheda FC, who went into the League of Ireland. What do you recall about that merger? Was it a difficult
0: time? Well, I may have been a draw to AFC man, but I was always a draw to United man too, because of the history and everything. And it it became apparent to me that, first of all, the Lord Stadium, no question marks about it, we didn't own it, we had no real control, there was the Athletic Club around it, and one thing in another. So... Uh, I think the idea of the merger, I I don't want to claim complete credit for it, but but I was a moving force in it and I did draft the whole thing. And of course, I knew the people in Draw United. I knew Danny O'Neill well and uh, Joe Mullally, of course, who was the Cod Road. Well, it's not the Cod Road, anyhow. Um well Jean Jean McKenna wouldn't think that, but Jean also. So I wanted a merger like that. I wanted and I, I was a draw draw her the United name too was the thing to have. And uh so we, we had meetings and we drafted things and we came to an agreement. We, we incorporated Danny and Joe in the, in, in the constitution and all their rights and everything else, you know. So that's how it happened. Yeah. And it happened. And of course, there's always difficulties when you have the red and
3: black and the claret and blue and well, all that, yeah. that goes with yeah. that as well. But that's history at this stage. Okay. But you left the Lourdes Stadium then and moved to United Park. Now, I remember the opening of United Park, 1977, Queen's Park Rangers came along oh. And really, yeah. at that stage, it was a ground ahead of its time.
0: Mm. I, I, I love the ground, of course, at United Park. Uh, if only we could have got a bit more ground and could have expanded it, and we, we, we looked into that, but it never was possible. But it, it, it still is a marvelous place to be when you have a full crowd there, and uh, you know what I mean—that you're so close to everything happening. But like everything else, of course, time catches up really, and. To, uh, to have started to spend big money you, you, you just really couldn't do it because you haven't the room or anything else to create the facilities so now we're talking about a new stadium now I've spent 25 years trying to get that stadium I've met some terrible setbacks we nearly had it in our grasp numerous times different uh, sites and so on And but anyhow let's forget about all that now here we are in 100 years centenary and here we are with the stadium is going to happen now and that's a wonderful thing for Drogheda too not, not just for the Drogheda United team but for all young teams and youngsters and everything else there'll be all kinds of facilities etc so it's it's marvellous so there's a whole new era starting for Drogheda United and I'm glad I live to see it and I, I hope now that people in Drogheda will make sure that by God it'll be here in 200 years
3: I'm sure it will, Vincent. It's such an asset to the place. When you reflect on all your years involved, and I mentioned the amalgamation there, there were some really great times, but success eluded you for a long time. Cup Final 71 replay, Limerick yeah, yeah. didn't go draw his way, 76 Bohemians. I was a little fellow there that day, I remember yeah. myself, so sad as well to lose. And, you know, on it goes, and you're runners up in the league, and you think... It'll never happen, and then suddenly we come into the naughties, and yeah. the whole country's on the rise, and so was the
0: United. Yeah. Oh yes, well, we we prepared a ten year, ten point plan, if I remember at the time, and I think when I looked at it afterwards, we we achieved nine of them. The tenth one was to get the the ground, the, the stadium, but all the rest of get a top class manager. We got that in 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 Doolin uh you know we 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 put it on a firm financial basis at the time um we i was instrumental in getting the uh at and that was that was a change a complete ch- game changer The facilities that trody united had there thanks to to fail McCluskey and I, was as good as any and better than most in the country you know and that was a great help in, in going forward with the team. And then, of course, we signed some great players. There's no doubt about that. So <laughs> I talk about it, we were on a high. So we had all the ingredients for a very successful club. And we did we did get the success. And my goodness me, but we had some great times then. The trips to Europe were just out of this world, you know. I have to remember one occasion when I'm sitting in Italy in in, in, uh, in San Marino before the match started. And next thing over I didn't know that anybody knew it was my birthday. It happened to be my birthday. And over the public address system they all said, Now we'd like to wish Vincent I a happy birthday. And everybody in the ground stood up and sang happy birthday. And they even had a had a cake and everything else. Oh, Paddy Martin. I can't think of them now. The the the, the gas we had in it was really good. And I remember thinking, I saw there where John Delaney was criticised one time for being in a pub in in uh, Helsinki, I think it was. Well, it could have been me because I remember being in a pub in Helsinki singing every kind of song with a cri- we had wonderful times, really. You know, it's mm. great, yeah.
3: Yeah, the League was won, the Cup was won, the All-Ireland Cup on a number of occasions, yeah. qualifying for Europe. And I'm remiss me to say, I must mention, Drogheda did win the League Cup. That was the first trophy the club ever won in Tulka Park against that lone town yeah, that before, back before yeah. the the Great
0: Era. That's right, yeah. And Gel Martin was playing that night, yeah. Oh, yes, uh, but... There's so many things to remember. One of the things that I loved was when we lost over in in the Ukraine. I was in the the box with these Ukrainians, very big club, you know, Dynamo Kiev. Well, but beat them. I mean, to this day, I just can't how we didn't beat them. First of all, Robinson hit the inside of one post, ran across the line, and hit the other, and came out. It was unbelievable. And then a chap called Hughes, if you remember him, yeah, he he, he got through... Passed the goalkeeper, nothing to do, when he hit the ball into the net, and he got his foot under the ball and it went over the bar. Unbelievable. But they were so nervous. If we'd got the goal, it was an away goal, we would have won. But what I did like afterwards was the whole crowd in that stadium stood up and applauded the draw the team off the field. Now, you know, and... I was outside and they were on, the, I'm on television and everything. And they're saying, what are you going to do, Mr. Hoy, with that wonderful little team you have? Wonderful? And I was thinking, God, we're going to back back home and it's not going to be great because, we're, you know what I mean? But these are my magic moments, really magic. That's right, yeah.
3: I remember most of all in all the years the cup win. The cup win in 2005 and that big breakthrough. I thought I'd never see it in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. And I'll always remember you. Uh, in West Street that night when the team came back and the joy and the thousands that thronged West Street. Yes. But I saw one man standing at the barrier and I want to mention him today, Tom Munster. And you uh, took the cup to the Card Road, your home, and to Tom's house the next morning and it was on all the news bulletins on RTE.
0: Well, Tom Munster... My goodness me, what a gentleman he was. And he just loved the, the club. I'm down in the in the hotel. Down in the hotel, there was all kinds of people there, newspaper people and everything. And and uh, so I said, look, I'm going up to bring this cup up to Tom. He wasn't well at the time. I said, for me, I'm going up the card road, and I knock on the door with the cup, you know, and Tom opened the door, well, the tears were flowing. everybody, including me, I can tell you, and he, he said, he come in, and he brought the cup in, and his sister had died only a month or two before, whom I knew well, and he brought it over and put the cup on the chair, he said, that was our chair there, with, you know, well, what could you do for Tom more than that? Nothing. And I can tell you that when we won the league, Tom's eyesight went to, you know, he couldn't see. But he was up in, he was in the hospital in Dublin. And, and uh, I said, <laughs> I'm bringing this up. The, the, the big li- league trophy, you know. And sure, in we went to the, into the house, And Tom was in bed there. And I said, Tom... Yeah, the cup wasn't enough for you, I said, yeah, we had the league trophy by as well." And he got his picture taken with the nurses and everything. Nobody could. It's, I, I'm the one who got more out of that than even you know, Tom. I mean, you couldn't do any more for a man than do that. And uh, yeah, it was all. The, 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 some of the newspaper people came up with the cup the time I went up with the cup. And that's what I mean about how what what it can mean to people in the club. So there are golden moments ahead when we'll when really get a repetition of this. Yeah, You're a Card road boy. You went to the Christian Brothers. Yeah. Born, reared, educated and walked on my life in Drada. I'm just just Drada personified really, you know, and it goes deep with me. That's why I can never understand people who, like myself, were born and everything in town who weren't as committed to the town as they should have been, you know. But maybe they didn't have the leadership. We didn't have the community spirit at that time. Although there there are grave exceptions to that. And some people don't, you know, I don't want to be down. But uh, I always feel that, including myself, we could have done more. Maybe we could have done more for the town, you know.
3: I think you're being hard on yourself, especially because no man could have done more than you. But talk to me about school. You went to the CBS and -hmm. you went to school with some well-known people as well. Where did you go from school to get you into
0: the law? Right, there's an interesting story in that. I came home, I was at home during the holidays after with the leaving certificate waiting for the result, the result comes out, and I knew all the things I didn't want to be. I didn't want to be an engineer, I didn't want to be a doctor, I didn't want to be an academic, all that. But I didn't know what I wanted to be. My father met the late Pather McCann in Drogheda one day and he said, Oh, father, you know, we're this he's at home. What are we going to do with him? He doesn't know what to do. Well, father said, I always thought he'd make a good solicitor. That's true. So my father came home. I didn't really know what a solicitor was. He brought me down to, to Tallinn and Company's office in West Street, and I met at that time a man called Gerald St. John Nolan, who was the Jean Gillen there, and uh, met him, and I liked the whole thing. Uh, so I ended up at 17 years of age as an apprentice in their office. And I worked there for five years as an apprentice. You don't get any pay in those days, you know. But uh, I loved it because there was a wonderful crowd of people there. There, there was a man called Con Megan who was a saint altogether uh, and a great sense of humour and everything. And Eileen Courtney who came to work for me afterwards Kathleen Lenehan, and all these and they they treated me as their, as a their child really because young I was a raw 17 year old and they took care of me they codded me but the first day I was there they they gave me an envelope and said look would you go up to the town to the district court like Mr. Coffey and he'll give you a form we want form 2ZX or something so off I went up to the courthouse and into Tom Coffey. He opened the letter and looked at it, and he said, "Don't believe we have that form here. I'll have a look around." But no, he said, "No, you'll have to go down to the guards. Go down and and, and uh, see somebody down there. I'm sure they'll have it." And he gave me the envelope, and off I went down, and and uh, I I met a man there. God, I have to think of his name. A sergeant there, and he a famous man. Uh, and uh, he said, and I said, would anyone have this form? Anyone know where the form such and such would be? No, we're out of them. You'll have to send them down to the Department of Agriculture. Anyhow, to cut a long story short, I was sent all round the town. And, of course, the envelope was saying, send the fool father. Mm-hmm. That's true, yeah. Did they was, do that to you. They did, yeah. Oh and I always God. think it was it didn't me any no harm. Do you know that? Because it introduced me? you to a lot of people. Uh, it did, and they love, and and uh, you know, I was on great terms even with the girls and all that afterwards. You know, uh, and to various and coffee, of course, was a complete character altogether. A great, uh, he was a great help to me, as a, you know, because he was very knowledgeable and, and legal and things and everything. Yeah. Mm.
3: So you 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 finish your apprenticeship. What happens from there?
0: I. Was very successful, to be honest. Now, because I I I won the gold medal, which was hadn't been won for twenty eight years, uh, and uh, I got, won everything: the Finn Scholarship, the Overend Scholarship. In fact, there is no man since has ever won all three. You know, but in any event, I then got a scholarship to go to to uh, Salzburg. And that, that that broadened my my horizons because I met people from all over Europe, from, you know, academics, and every meal was an education. I, I kept my mouth shut, quiet. from, <laughs> and, But the main thing is, when I was finished all that and my eyes were open and, and I come back to Drogheda and I want to change the world, I want to change Drogheda, I want to bring them into the new se- century, but I think a lot of people thought I was a crank you know what when you would bring ideas that i had great opportunities now with the education and the traveling and all this and a lot of people didn't when i was young the day in layton was a big thing and if you went to dublin going up to dublin as we used to say once or twice a year i mean that was fantastic but, but so I, I i got all this particularly my trip to salzburg that i'm studying in in in, in the library there and I was staying in a place called the Schloss Leopoldskron, which was where the Sound of Music was made, and I can remember sitting in the summer house. You know, there's a scene in it where, in the summer house, and I was actually sitting in that and saying, "Mike." And this film had only been made a few years before. A big lake in front of it. I went back there years. They used to keep in touch with you, with the alumni, as they called them. And uh, I went back after 10 years or more and met a lot of the old friends. Some of them, the uh, fellows who were in class with me. For example, we were taught by professors and a judge, one judge from the Supreme Court of New Jersey, Judge Jacobs. We decided to go for a weekend to Vienna, and I was an opera buff even then. So we went around. And, um, I, a fellow from Oslo that was in the class with me, we were in having a meal, or having having those nice big buns, uh, cream buns there at the time, and he got. To, and I said, "Lord, I'd love to have got a ticket for the opera." And he said, uh, "I have a girl. Uh, my girlfriend knows a girl in Austria here, and you never know. She might be able to do it. Ring her up." I said. He rang her up, in comes this beautiful girl, and, uh, and we got talking, and I said, "I'd love to." Oh, she said, my uncle is a trustee of the Opera House. I'll see if I can get She went to the phone. She rang up, and next thing she's come back in, and she said, look, Vincent, there's a ticket for you. It's at such and such an address. If you go there, you'll get it. Okay. Off we go, rushed off, went to the hotel and got a dark suit and went off up and in and got the ticket. Now, this is true. I got a taxi because it was a bit back to the, uh, the uh, opera <clears> house. <throat> People are filing in everywhere all for this big... It turned out that it was the gala performance of Carmen. They were coming from all over Europe. People with big sashes here and and tiaras and they're giving us what. And uh, so I, I went over to a fellow livery fellow there and I said, oh, where's my He Oh, he said, come this way. I was in the royal box I was in the royal box, right in the centre at this. So now I looked down, and they're looking all around me. Of course, there were people looking at me and saying, where did he come from, for the name of God? Who is he, and who is he? What? But anyhow, down below, I see Judge Jacobs' his wife and his daughter were down. in, in the thing, And the daughter was around, and then she tapped her father and pointed up with me. And I, <laughs> I saluted him. He got his ticket in New York for <laughs> to go to this. Will you? And no, the best of all was we were taught by a man called Professor Bice. Now, Professor Bice was a professor in Harvard, had written books on all kinds of law and everything, a lovely taught or something. In the opera house, up under the roof, there is a, people come and lean over a brass rail and who was leaning over the brass rail? Only <laughs> Professor Bice. <Beuys. laughs> I, I I look over I saw him, and I gave him. Afterward, you wonder what he said to me afterward. But anyhow, I I really feel the soprano was singing to me all night. She was straight in front <laughs> of me, you know. And this and and it was Mario Del was the tenor. I mean, this was. Fabulous profounding.
3: So when you finished like in Austria and all that was complete, mm. did you come back to draw and set up by yourself or what happened then?
0: Yes, I did um nineteen fifty seven I qualified and I worked in Tallinn's office until nineteen sixty three years. And then I decided to work on my own. I didn't have one client, didn't have anything. Got an office over MCO there. And as I used to say then, you'd be listening, hoping to hear someone coming up the stairs. <laughs> oh, wonderful. And I got to a stage then, it was so busy as hell, oh God, oh, not someone else nearly, you know. But uh, it was I, I won't draw it. it. was very good to me again, you know, the people knew me and all that. And uh, very we, I built up a very big practice in a short time. Then we opened an office in Mulbriggan, we opened an office in Dublin. We,
3: it really like, took off and I remember you, of course, when I met you first in Wellington Key in Drogheda yeah. and now in Fair Street where B.B. High yeah. operates and is so busy and successful today. That yeah. must
0: please you. It's life, isn't it? It's a battle really going along and uh, building it up. My my approach to the law, I, 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 I sometimes think that I'm not, wasn't the typical type of, you know, I... I Saw it again as a role of helping people in Drawdar. I mean, I, I would go along the street and I'd see a place for sale. Well, I wouldn't leave it at that, you know. I'd say, gee, you know, that'd that suit such and such, you know. So I'd ring him up and say to him, Look, have you ever thought, God, I never thought of it, Vincent. Well, look, we'd I'd help you. And, we, 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 we. and then he suddenly gets enthusiastic and great. And I, I've lived to see quite a few of these people making great. Su- success you know boy. Yeah, yeah I mean so that, I, and I I loved it, I did the district court for years Sam Shaw, the late Sam Shaw and myself, we, we used to have great fun in the district court but it taught you to, to get up on your feet and think on your feet, mm. you had to think quick you know I mean and uh, as a result I never had much difficulty in public speaking or anything afterwards. Tell me about your wife Gisela and how you met her it was like this. I was over with Liam, Marr, the late Liam. He was at school with me, Liam, you know, and uh, we were chatting over. I remember as well. Over his, over the shop in James Street at the time, and he said, I, I, I'm, "I'm going off," he said, to, uh, "to to Greece." I said, "To Greece?" You know, "Yeah," he said. Uh, some he had the brochure and all that. Would you like to come? Oh. I said, "Will of course." You know, "Yeah, we will." We'll, and, as a matter of fact, we, I, I won't mention our names, but there was a couple of other friends were included in this, you see. So we set off, and uh, we we uh, ended up on the island of Rhodes.
3: What year was this, Vincent?
0: 1965. And uh, we're in this nice hotel, and um, the beach is there, and, uh, you know, it's lovely. So... I have to say that I think when I was having a meal in the hotel, I did, I think, notice Gisela sitting at a table down. But look, you'd want to think of the Irishman in those days. She'd be sitting there yet and I wouldn't have the nerve to go next or near or anything else, you know. But then I we went down on the beach and I noticed her on the beach with her parents and that. And she tells the story afterwards. She laughed at us. We get in towels around ourselves trying to change our clothes. And, you know, she thought it was ludicrous and <laughs> so funny. But in any event, uh, this night, we, I happened, not I, but a few of us, we met this man and woman, lady, I and, think, and from London who were in the rag trade. And we made friends with them and had a meal with them and all this so so that she knew us. So this night we're sitting out on the veranda at the hotel. The moon is shining. We're having a few drinks and all this. And uh, she comes along and she took one look at us and said, what are all you fellas doing sitting there? You should be out chasing girls. And I said, listen, I said, we don't know any girls here or anything else. How, how, there's a nice girl down there, she said. Gisela was sitting down at the other end where our mother and father uh, and uh, why don't you go down and, and and introduce yourself to her? I said you must be joking. You I mean <laughs> how could you? we couldn't? You couldn't do that. I said. You know. Well, she said, if you won't do it, I will. And she went down, had a word I could see her talking. Next thing is she arrived up with Gisela by the hand and sat her down beside me. That's the truth. And. I can go a little further because I, <laughs> I have Gisela's side of the story as well. One or two of the fellows that were with me, one in particular, was a bit of a ladies' and man. As he I, I was very reticent and very, really, and he was given a bit of a line, so, and it brought me in to protect Gisela, Funny thing, you know. So uh, one by one, they 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 got up and left, and uh, I was left with Gisela. And then I said, so, "Well, got jacked and everything." I said, "Would you like to go dancing?" So she said, "Oh, yeah, okay." So the following night we went dancing to a place called Roads by Night. I'll always remember it. Yeah, <laughs> and some of the boys came down later. They said, "We'll be down after you, Vincent. We'll, we, you know." So they came down and had one look at the two of us and said, I think we better get lost.
3: (laughs) (laughs) And the rest is history, (laughs) history, as they say. But wait a minute, it's 65 and think of the communications were quite primitive back then. You came home to Ireland and she went, where was she from?
0: Oh, sure. She was in Germany and then she went from there to, to Spain and she spent a year in Spain. Then she studied at the Sorbonne in Paris and and all this time I'm writing letters back at Fort Joe and I have to tell this story. I was living out at out at Belgathern at the time and uh John Moore, a lovely man, was the postman. Now the postman in those days, you know, he had his bicycle and he came along and thing. But he noticed these letters coming from Germany. Very strange to be seen letters, and from Spain, and he said to my mother, "It's something going on here." You know, he realized what it was. But, uh, so, so then, in in the end, I, I uh, flew over to Germany and met her. Went Then we used to meet in London. I didn't go halfway, and she did. And then finally, she flew over to. To us in Drogheda, and we got engaged and out of the story.
3: Huh? What a fabulous story. You're living in Dublin at this stage, but mm-hmm. you've lived the great part of your life in, in Drogheda and been of Drogheda.
0: That's a story about me as a youngster, too, I have to tell. When I, i oh, sure, I have some million, but I lived down very near to the bridge to to, to the Boyne vine Viaduct, and in Do- when I was a little fellow, the unionists or the loyalists or whatever you call them used to come on, on the 20th of July and all that and around it on the trains going by and they used to throw money out into the river. I'd say there was more money down in the bottom of the river there in by, but because we got cute and a lot of them would miss and it wouldn't go into the river it would go down on the ground or else it, it would hit some of the ironwork and be diverted and that. We would we'll be down to collect it. here. Yeah. So I told some prominent unionist recently. I said, "Look, I said you don't realise what you had to fund my youth. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> great, great memories. Yeah. But when,
3: when you sit here today and reflect on a wonderful life, a fantastic family, a life in sport, in your profession, in in the history and the the fabric of draw and everything you've been involved in, you can't have any regrets.
0: You've had." Just a wonderful time, haven't you? I've, I've always been lucky. I, I say it. I do, really do say that. Things seem to go right for me. Now, I, I have to say my philosophy has been to help people, you know, and you always get it back. I mean, I fellas have come to me there recently. I, I was went into a garage, I won't say where, and uh, with another person. I wanted to help them. I want to buy a car. And a fella came out, and he looked, and he said, Vincent, I... It's, uh, that, yeah. Oh, you said, "Vincent, you don't know the good you did for me—a great turn." Uh, now he then recalled something away back, and, and, you know, it, when someone says that to you, you, you know what I mean. You, you really feel that that your your life has been a little bit worthwhile, really, it's, and it definitely comes back to you. I maintain that. Yeah.
3: You've been listening to A Slice of Life with Vincent Hoy on late lunch this afternoon and can I say to finish up you are a modest man, you have helped so many people, you've put Drogheda on the map in many many ways and especially through sport and the football club and all the joy that that has given to so many people as you said earlier on in the interview Mm -hmm. and the great memories and We've seen it in Drahada, the League, the Cup, the League Cup, the European Nights. I'll tell
0: you one other thing I used to like to do. When I was going on, on Europe, we were, as you know, we were in Helsinki, we were in Ukraine, we were in Italy, wherever. I would always, as the chairman, have to say a few words. They give a dinner, you know, for the officials. Well, I always used to start speaking in Irish. Now, I was in the Ukraine, and I'm in this wonderful hall, you know, decorative hall, and you have these big officials of this huge club, millionaires, or I don't know, you know, big fellows, bank bank directors and everything. And they, they said, oh, Mr. Roy, we are supplying you with a translator so that you can understand what's been said. And so I'm there with my translator and all that. And then they indicate, would I like to say, a few words. So I get up and I start speaking in Irish. And you could see the horror around everybody. (laughs) They didn't know what. And when I I then changed over and I said, now I don't need a translator. I said, I'll be my own translator. So I then told them what I had said in to Irish. And I got a great kick out of things like that. And it's it's memorable. They never forget that type of thing, you
3: know. Oh, it's fantastic.
0: But anyway, again, to say to finish, look, Vincent, it's
3: been fantastic catching opportunity today. Just catching a slice of your life as well and Mm -hmm. the wonderful life you've had and all you've done for Drogheda especially, and through its football club. I think you'll always be synonymous with that and the great success and honour and joy you brought to thousands and thousands of people in the town over the years. Can I say to finish, you are one of Drogheda's greatest sons.
0: Don't lose that club now. That's my final word. And look after the town of Drogheda and you'll get it all back. It's a lovely place to live. I think I can finally quote... um, uh, Ken Whittaker Ken Whittaker lived in Drogheda of course and Ken said it's a magical place
3: such a lovely thought and words to leave us with today Vincent Hoy thank you so
0: much not at all Jerry. thank you
3: Easter weekend traditionally a huge weekend of sport in Ireland and all over the place in these islands in fact the blue ribbon of the weekend is certainly happening at Ferry House on Bank Holiday Monday the Boyle Sports Grand National and we're going to talk about it and the other big sporting events local and international as well now with Leon Blanche communications manager from Boyle Sports. Leon good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Jerry. How are you? I'm good. Well, Leon, I'm still catching my breath. What can you say about Manchester City and Tottenham Hotspur? And they meet <sighs> again tomorrow.
6: I know. They meet again tomorrow. And I suppose, look, it was probably one of the best games that you could watch if you were a neutral, which I was. And it ebbed and flowed. And we all thought that City were out. And then Sterling scores an injury time. You think Spurs are out. Then VAR comes in. The correct decision. Uh, was definitely made and Man City are gone so the quadruple is finished, now they've got to try and pick themselves up a little bit um, and try and concentrate on the league because it's a huge game Um, Saturday, tomorrow at half past 12 and they're playing at Tottenham Hotspur side that will be on a high but they are struggling squad wise they've, I know I think Sissoko went off injured Um, Harry Kane is injured Um, and it you look at the kind of Spurs bench, and that was there in the Champions League. They were down to the bare bones. So this is a huge game. City are favourites. They're two to seven. Spurs are available at seventeen to two, and the draw is nine to two. Um, from a Liverpool's um, fans' perspective, which I am, I'd be certainly hoping that Spurs can get a point. But I just have a feeling that Spurs put a awful lot into that game on Wednesday night, and I think Man City they're at home. Look, they will be heartbroken that they're out of the Champions League, but they do still have the domestic treble to go for, and I just think City might be able to see off Spurs in the early kick-off tomorrow.
3: Now, that then means if they pick up those points, they'll go top again. It's ding-dong here by a point, 86 to 86-85. And then on Sunday, Liverpool, great win in Porto on Wednesday night, come in with their tails up, but against a Cardiff side in Cardiff who are fighting for their lives and had a big win in Brighton.
6: Absolutely. Um, you couldn't have said it better. I mean, I think Liverpool fans would have been hoping that Brighton would have beat Cardiff on Tuesday night. They didn't. Cardiff were well worthy of the three points and it's a tricky place to go. But you probably just look at Liverpool in terms of their Champions League game against Porto. They seemed to be in second gear. It was pretty much cruise control. The big three scored again. Salah, Mane and Firmino. Van Dyke chipped in with a goal. And I think this Liverpool side at the minute they just are getting the job done and they're winning games without being at their best. And I'd be surprised if they don't beat Cardiff on Sunday. Yes, Cardiff will be playing for their Premier League survival, so that always poses a difficulty. But I think Liverpool, it would be a huge surprise. They're 1-5 to five to beat Cardiff. Cardiff are 14-1 to one, and the draw is 5-1. to one. I just think, Jerry, again, I think City and Liverpool will win at the weekend. But then, of course, we have that huge Manchester derby uh, which takes place next Wednesday night United are at home City away I think if there's a game where City might slip up I think a lot of people have been pointing towards the Manchester Derby so it's a big couple of games for City Spurs at home and United away where they know if they don't pick up six points they've handed the league in terms of giving it to liverpool and it'll be in liverpool's hands so a massive two games for manchester city.
3: Absolutely. Now let's bring it all back home this evening because the league of ireland a full program in both divisions starting with the premier Dundalk have a uh, bottom club Finn Harps who already really look like they're relegated even though it's still relatively early in the season and Dundalk winning a late goal a controversial goal against bohemians midweek
6: yeah, look, Jerry. they really needed that victory. Um, they didn't play too well. Um, some of the lads here, like work working ball sports, said that they did create a few chances, but they are struggling to put teams away. I mean, looking at the league table at the moment, they're 10 points behind Shamrock Grovers with only one game in hand. So even if they were to win that game in hand, they'd still trail rovers by seven points. But this is a good opportunity, again, to record a home victory. As you said, Finn Harps, they've only got two points from a possible 33. So certainly to step up to the Premier Division hasn't been easy for Finn Harps, and I think they'll be going right back down to the first division at the end of the season. So for me, it's no surprise. You're not going to get Rich back in Dundalk at 1-7, to seven, but they should be able to get another home victory, which is vitally important because Rovers are away. It's a top-of-the-table clash. It's live on the telly. They're away against Derry. Derry are eight points behind Shamrock Rovers with a game in hand. Derry are at home to Shamrock Rovers, and I think the rest of the league will be hoping that Derry can take something off Rovers to stop this winning run. I think that's seven league wins and the bounce for Shamrock Rovers. You've got to give them an awful lot of credit. They've only conceded seven goals in 11 matches. So Shamrock Rovers, at the minute, they're the team everyone wants to knock off their perch. And hopefully Derry can at least get a share of the spoils to bring the likes of Dundalk back closer to Shamrock Rovers.
3: Now, in the first division, I was at drogheda Shelburne last week. Could have lost it on the one hand, but nearly won it at the end. Drogheda, very competitive against a very fancied Shell side to go up. They go to Bray. They have a very difficult one again this week. The Boynsiders won't be easy at the uh, Carlisle grounds.
6: No, it won't be easy, but I think when you're looking at it, um, Bray obviously lost uh, last weekend. Uh, They were beaten 2-0 by Longford, who, of course, at the minute, are just topping the table. Longford have got 17 points from seven games. So, Longford are going extremely well. But I think if you're looking at Drogheda, they had won the last three before that nil all draw with Shelburne. But even though it's not going to be an easy game, I still think Drogheda away against Bray, they represent a bit of value at 16 to 5. It's a little bit better than 3 to 1. Bray, of course, are at home, so they're the favourites at 4 to 5. And the draw here is 23 to 10. Look, these are the difficult games. I suppose you'd probably take a draw because you're away from home against a decent Bray outfit. But if you have aspirations of trying to win the division and get back up to the Premier League, these are probably the games that you need to come away with three points
3: absolutely now leon Boyle sports big time involved in the fairy house easter festival sponsors of uh, the blue ribbon race in ireland each year the grand national on monday Uh, you just look at the field again gordon elliott he's had such a year he has multiple runners willie mullins is in there ted walsh you name it all the top trainers are there what's your feelings about the race
6: yeah, look, it's a fantastic race, uh, Jerry. Look, we're privileged to sponsor it, and um, it's great now that with with, with ourselves and Ferry House and HRI, we've got the prize fund up to a half a million euro, and I think that's made the race an awful lot better. And um, you look at the caliber of horse in here. We've got three horses called favourites at the minute: Jury Duty. Who, of course, ran an entry. He unseated Robbie Power, and he second now was a winner of the Kim Yore at the Cheltenham Festival. And pair of brown eyes for Willie Mullins, who, who, who unbelievably has yet to win a Boyle Sports Irish Grand National. Could it be his year? He's got pair of brown eyes at eight to one. Borough Saint, there's been plenty of money for him. He's another one for Willie Mullins at nine to one. It's just a fantastic field. Two eight per m,e for Noel Mead is a ten to one chance. Snugsburg Benny was a very impressive winner at Ferry House last time. He's in there at 12 to 1. Looks, Jerry, it's one hell of a race. They're talking about Gordon Elliott probably having 14 runners. There's a maximum of 30 in the field, so he'll have just under half the field come Monday at 5 o'clock. It's a phenomenal race. It's going to be very hard to pick a winner of it, but if I had to just go for one at the moment, I think Burroughs Saint for Willie Mullins finally to break his duck. He broke his Cheltenham Gold Cup with Album photo this year. Could it be he'll win a Ball sports Irish Grand National come around quarter past five on Monday afternoon?
3: God, it be the icing on the cake and what has been a, a tremendous year all round for the big noises in Irish racing. Leon, thank you so much as usual for joining us. Happy Easter to you and all your people there. And of course, we will talk again on Late Lunch next Friday.
6: Same to you, Jerry. Have a happy Easter. All the best.
3: Yes, Leon Blanche there with his top tips this Easter weekend. And whatever you're doing this weekend, have a lovely time. Stay safe, enjoy your sport, enjoy your leisure time, enjoy your family. And uh, do take care over the holiday, the bank holiday weekend. That's a lot on Late Lunch for this week. We'll be back with a brand new week on Tuesday from half past one. But until then, for myself, Jerry Kelly, Louise Walsh, my producer, thank you to all our guests during the week, everyone who joined us, to you, our listeners, for tuning in every day. We do appreciate it. Happy Easter, one and all. LMFM podcasts brought to you with Carrickmacross Credit Union. Where dreaming of warmer climates becomes a reality with a Carrickmacross Credit Union holiday loan. O'Neill Street, Carrickmacross, or
4: Carrickmacrosscu.ie.
1: When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers, and if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer.